Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is Carpe Consensus. Join hosts. Ben Schiller and Danny Nelson as they seize the world of crypto. Hello and welcome to the show. Uh, my name is Ben Schiller. I'm the features editor here at Coindesk. This is Carpe Consensus and a podcast from the Coindesk Podcast Network. And I'm joined today by the ineffable, the inestimable, the incredible Danny Nelson. Good day to you, sir. I only know what one of those words means, but I'll accept it. Thank you, Ben. I'm happy to be here. Okay, well, I'm, I think they're all pretty good words, and they're all most appropriate. Um, how are you? Are you surviving uh, December and everything that's going on? You know, uh, I'm excited as ever for the end of the year and the break that I think we'll get, but uh, it seems like we're back in bull market territory uh, as we record this. Bitcoin is, I think it's near $44,000 surging away surging it's surging it's uh, I, I, you know why i think people are buying i think they're buying ben because they just were so inspired by our coverage of the the movers and shakers of this industry that they thought wow i really need to have a piece of this that definitely is true and i think you're referring to our most influential package uh, which debited on monday december the 4th it's 50 profiles of as you say, movers and shakers in our industry. Uh, and it's something we do every year around this time. And it's identifying the people who, as we say, defined the year in crypto, who spoke to the big themes of the year. And we're going to get into some of the profiles that we published on Monday, including a couple that Danny did and a couple that a couple of other writers did uh, who will bring on the show. And uh, it's an exciting package and a good way to review what has been a momentous year for crypto, uh, full of ups and downs as normal, but uh, it's been a, a different type of year, I think. And some of the other ones we've covered, Danny, uh, in the last few years, very kind of a tale of two halves of uh, retrenchment after the uh, scandals of last year. And then latterly, as you say, at the start of a, what we think is another bull run in Bitcoin and other crypto assets. So uh, let's get to that. Yeah, we had a whole team effort to get these 50 profiles done, as Ben was saying, and I participated in that effort. I took two myself. The big one was about Brian Armstrong, who I find as crypto's last big man standing. And what I think I meant by that was he's really the last remaining big exchange CEO that's been around for a while who isn't in prison or going to prison. And I think that's worth thinking about because Brian Armstrong has a lot of power. He has a bit of a bully pulpit, if we're being honest. 
Coinbase is in a top position for the U.S. market, and it's only poised to grow more powerful with products such as Base, uh, which bring it into the DeFi space, as well as the Bitcoin ETF, which everyone is going to be using, it seems, Coinbase to hold their Bitcoin. So this company is taking a really important role. And I think it was worth looking at the person at the top of it, Brian Armstrong. Exactly. So uh, Brian Armstrong, as you say, he's a survivor of, of the kind of big guns. Uh, so CZ uh, is gone at Binance. Kraken's pal is also gone. And, and also, obviously, SBF at FTX for slightly different reasons. But he is definitely a survivor. And you do sort of wonder how he's kept it all together all these years. I mean, he's been in that seat for 12 years through all of the ups and downs of the markets and, and, and all of the you know, the company going public and, and everything they've had to deal with on the regulatory front, including this year, a big SEC investigation lawsuit. So it's, a, it's a lot. So uh, for him to survive and still be there and still thrive is, is pretty incredible. And you mentioned Base. That's the layer two that Coinbase released this year, which has big implications for the future of exchanges. A lot of people think that uh, exchanges will move to layer two for cost reasons and for other uh, revenue generating reasons. So it's pretty interesting. They also had a big move into derivatives this year, setting up an international exchange and also uh, a lot of US business as well. And they seem very well placed, as you say in the piece, to meet the needs of the new crypto era, which will be much more Wall Street, Chadify dominated, I think. Ben, I was going through the list. It seems like there are a lot of politicians and regulators. Yeah, I think that's probably true, uh, probably more than in previous years. And that speaks to the kind of year that we've had. Obviously, the narrative of the year was very much dominated by the SEC and the very aggressive enforcement actions made by that agency. And there was also a lot of talk in Congress of passing new laws. They didn't quite get there in the end, but that was very much a flavor of the month, that, that conversation. And the package really speaks to this regulation storyline and also the storyline of retrenchment in the industry, where it's trying to kind of catch up from. Uh, what happened last year and, and set itself up for better days ahead. And one of those is Ryan Selkis, right? The, the former CEO of Coindesk, uh, now running Masari. That's right. Ryan Selkis has become a, an important uh, crypto advocate this year. And that's something that Mark Hogstein talks about in his uh, feature story about Selkis. You know, he's a longtime crypto media entrepreneur who's, who's really taken it on himself, sort of through anger and annoyance at the lack of friendly relations between regulators and, and crypto industry. He's, a, you know, he's not a fan, to put it mildly, of Gary Gensler or really of uh, much of the political class because he feels like they're dragging their feet and not really doing their job of making uh, crypto safe for the United States of America. So um, he's really taken it on himself to raise money to back candidates and to be a forceful advocate for, for change and action in the regulatory sphere. And the way that Ryan carries himself He's not really trying, in my opinion, to win over the doubters and the haters, right? He's a little bit too brash for that. And so he's only going to be effective if he can help bring new people in. One thing that I think is worth thinking about is what effect will it have when crypto money moves into politics in size? Uh, last year, we saw a candidate in an Oregon district for House. I don't remember the name of the candidate, but it doesn't really matter. Because Sam Bankman-Fried, this is before it all blew up, but Sam Bankman-Fried gave PACs supporting that candidate tens of millions of dollars to such an extent that, that the other candidates for that office actually made crypto into an issue, saying, look at how these crypto millionaires and billionaires are trying to buy our election. Isn't that a bad thing? So 
I think that as crypto grows in prominence and we see people like Ryan turning toward that fundraising model, we're going to have to think about, well, how is this going to be perceived if this is actually scaling up to a a decisive amount? Yeah, that's exactly right. And that was definitely a theme of this year, um, of the the actual politicization of of crypto. Um, In in the past, uh, crypto has been that strange issue of bipartisan. And and this year, it very much became partisan. And you could point to, for instance, uh, Elizabeth Warren, who's on the left uh, side of the Democratic Party. So uh, we're joined now by uh, Nick Day. He's a regulatory editor at Coindesk. And we were just talking about Elizabeth Warren there and how she was part of the politicization of crypto this year. And you've seen that front and center in your daily reporting. How have you seen that that process take hold in, in Congress this year? Yeah, it's been really interesting, right? Because Senator Warren from Massachusetts has been a pretty vocal critic of crypto and its advocates in the US legislature. She's introduced bills. She's worked across the aisle. She's you know worked with Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas on multiple legislative efforts to get bipartisan bills to address what she sees are flaws in the crypto ecosystem. And the crypto industry has really kind of painted her as this enemy of progress, which she's leaning into. You know, there was a headline in Politico a couple months ago that said she was building an anti-crypto army. And a few months later, you saw that on her campaign ads, the precise headline. And it became a thing that the entire industry started freaking out about. Yeah launching what she called an anti-crypto army. And I think that's less to do with actually with, with actual crypto policymaking and more to do with the reputation of crypto, which has become a kind of meme or a, a trope in political messaging. It's helpful for her politically to be against the crypto army, not because she's really necessarily against you know aspects of crypto, but she's against it in a more um, sort of people sense that there's, there's votes to be won casting your lot against the perception of crypto as this bro-infested uh, cesspool of financial speculation. So um, that's sort of partly true, maybe. But uh, You can say a lot of things about crypto, Ben. And you can also say that it's a bro-infested cesspool. And I think it's, nuance is important, but there are certainly aspects of crypto that have fit that bill. Maybe not the whole thing, but some of it. Well, I mean, I guess it's always been true, but we haven't had politicians coming along to really make hay out of that, right? Yeah. All right. Nick, should we just get to the main substance here? You know, if you look at what she's actually focusing on, you know, it seems to me that there is a kernel of reality at the heart of her concerns that, you know, there are a lot of projects that have been hacked or collapsed in recent months. We've talked about some of those, you know, last time I was on this program. And the industry is kind of, I don't say they're ignoring those concerns, but they're kind of emphasizing the other uh, other parts of what they disagree with, rather than kind of grappling with this detail that, yeah, at the heart of Senator Warren's actions are the fact that billions of dollars have been stolen from crypto projects, from exchanges, et cetera, over the last couple of years. Yeah. And we're seeing some of the big names in uh, crypto policy leaving. Patrick McHenry just announced, or well, Patrick McHenry is the head of the House Financial Services Committee. Mm-hmm. He's the bowtie Warren guy from North Carolina, big crypto advocate. He's leaving Congress at the end of his term. Any comment, Nick, on the loss of Patrick McHenry from the congressional scene? Will that impact uh, crypto's agenda uh, next year, do you think? Absolutely. I think the question is to what extent? So Congressman McHenry said he's going to, you know, stay in office until his term ends, which means he'll be here till, you know, January 2025. So he has another year left to try and pursue 
crypto legislation, but because it is an election year, that really functionally means he has a few months left to do what he's trying to do before everyone leaves town and tries to get reelected. Everyone else, I guess. So obviously, he's trying to get a market structure bill addressing crypto and a stablecoin bill through Congress to the president's desk. And it seems to have a pretty clear path. You know, Both those bills seem to have a pretty clear path out of the House right now. The bigger question has always been, will the Senate take them up? And that's still an open question. But again, if he has a year, he's not running for re-election now. You know, McHenry might have some real momentum, especially as a retiring you know member who is uh, you know I think widely respected in the halls of Congress, certainly amongst you know the Republican Party after his stint as the Speaker pro tempore. It may give him a lot of heft to trying to get this done, but we'll see how the Senate reacts and if they care. But is is this to him like worth that? Is he so passionate about the crypto issues? that he's willing to expend that, you know, lame duck capital on this. So this is a little bit of speculation, but the answer seems to be yes, right? If you go back to a week ago, there were reports that Congressman McHenry had threatened fentanyl legislation in the National Defense Authorization Act, the annual must-pass defense bill, if he couldn't get his crypto bills onto that. Now, fentanyl has been, you know, an issue that the Republican Party, his party, has you know, repeatedly made a huge issue over the past couple months and over the past year. Fentanyl obviously is a serious thing, but you've seen this used as a political talking point. And the fact that he was willing to upset his own party and, you know, threaten bipartisan legislation from the Senate suggests that he is certainly willing to expend, as you say, his political capital on this one issue. I think the question, again, goes back to, is there enough political capital there to make this happen? You wrote a big profile of uh, Gary Gensler, who's obviously the head of the SEC. And we debated whether to put him on the list this year because he was also on the list last year. But we ended up agreeing that we couldn't really ignore him, that he played such a big role this year that he really had to be on the list. So um, looking at Gary Gensler, I'm just wondering um, what you think the takeaways are in that profile. And also, maybe more importantly, do you think he's going to survive the next year? Do you think we'll be thinking about him next year for inclusion on the list, or do you think he'll be on to new things? I think he's certainly going to stick around through the end of his term, it sure looks like. Whether that means he's going to, you know, I I guess the question here is who's going to win the next election? And, you know, where we're sitting in December 2023, I think it's probably way too early to tell. If a Republican wins the election in November 24, how long Gary Gensler sticks around, that's I think that's an open question, fair question to ask, and we'll see. It'll depend. If President Biden wins re-election in November 24, then I imagine we'll see Gary Gensler continue to you know, enact this agenda he set up. But if we're looking back at 2023, I don't think there's any debate now about what exactly he views as regulatory clarity, and I don't think there's any real debate amongst crypto companies. The question now is there's this kind of fundamental disagreement over whether Gensler and the SEC writ large, whether that interpretation is correct as far as how crypto and securities laws mix, whether crypto companies are correct. It's only that we're kind of watching the judiciary system address piecemeal. We don't have any binding precedent yet, but we've seen some progress and we can totally talk about that too. It's We've kind of gone from what is regulatory clarity, you know, can cryptos do XYZ to, again, this question of which interpretation is correct, which fits the legal 
system that we have and what does that mean for companies going forward. So obviously the things to watch right now are the enforcement actions against Coinbase and Kraken and Binance and Binance US. And we've seen some of those actions become settlements. We'll see how the courts address these other you know lawsuits that we're watching. But it does feel like we have kind of advanced from this place of no one knows. Yeah, there's all this ambiguity to, okay, now we know how they're looking at it. And what does that mean? It does feel like we're making progress in some way. Thank you very much for joining us again, Nick. And uh, we'll see you on the hustings out there as uh, the political season heats up next year. And uh, we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a lot of fun and games as usual. Thanks for having me. All right. You have been listening to the best crypto podcast in the business. And that is because of Danny Nelson, who is sitting right here virtually with me. My name is Ben Schiller. I've got nothing to do with it's been good or not good, but you can blame Danny. And our producer is Anna Pal, who does an incredible uh, job bringing this all together. And thank you to uh, our contributors today. Please check out the podcast on Spotify and Apple and all good uh, platforms like that and leave some comments and feedback. So thanks very much. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. And uh, make sure you ask us some questions too. I'd like to know, uh, do you really think that Brian Armstrong can survive? That's that's my question of the week. If you have uh, any thoughts on that, read my piece first. Maybe don't. I don't care. Although you probably should. Head over to Spotify on the Q&A. Tell me, do you think that Brian Armstrong was going to survive this next cycle? Bye. Bye. Carpe Consensus is a Coindesk production. Executive produced by Jared Schwartz and produced and edited by Eleanor Paul. Have any questions or comments? Email us at podcasts at coindesk.com. Subject line, Carpe Consensus. Thanks for listening and see you next week. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.